For generations, the Jewish people had heard the prophecies about this coming Messiah. Isaiah had written about him. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And yet, after all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, it hadn't happened yet. And quite frankly, many began to doubt if it would ever happen. They thought, certainly not going to happen in my lifetime. And it's been so long, is it ever really going to come true? And then, when many people least expected it, it happened. He arrived on the scene. Now, prior to that time, God had challenged them to be watchful, to be faithful, to trust him because he's on a different time schedule than you and I are. He spoke this through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 62, verses 6 through 7. And this is God speaking as if he is speaking to his Messiah So this will help it to make sense. He says, uh, or I'm sorry, he is speaking this to the people about Messiah. He said, I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem, that they will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. Here God is giving his people and giving us permission. He's saying, I don't want you to ever stop being watchful and prayerful and bringing your request to me and praying for deliverance and praying for my kingdom to be established. I don't want you to rest at all, never give up. But I don't want you to give me any rest. I don't want you to give me any rest. Keep calling out to me, not that I need to be reminded of the promises that I've made, but I'm giving you permission to remind me of the promises I have made. So don't you give yourselves any rest or him any rest, meaning, again, God and Messiah, until his absolute promise of his kingdom being set up on earth and established through Jerusalem until that actually happens. Now... In ancient times, cities that had walls built around them, they were often very wide walls, very thick walls. And so on the top of those walls, there was plenty of room for people to be posted watch, to stand on top of those walls and to look around the city 360 degree view. And oftentimes those walls would also have towers. And so the the watchmen could be up in those towers as well. And what they were doing, of course, is they were not only looking in case enemy uh, uh, troops would come and attack the city, they were on guard that way, so they were to, to be on guard against potential destruction and harm, but they were also to look out for those who were arriving to the city in a friendly way, bringing commerce, bringing help, bringing strength to the city. And so in the same way that they had these literal physical watchmen on the walls, God is saying, this is what we need to do spiritually in our lives. We need to be watchful of what's going on in the world around us, not only to be on guard against potential potential attacks of the enemy, but also to welcome the good things that God is bringing our way Here's the big idea of this message today. If you don't remember anything else, I hope that you will remember this. Being watchful 
is not passive. In other words, being watchful does not mean just observing something happening. It means, of course, to be alert and to be aware and to look around, but it means to appropriately respond in every situation as it arises in our lives. Um, if you're a parent, you'll, you'll get this, and even if you're not, you'll get it. But how many of you, you don't have to raise your hands, it's a rhetorical question, how many of you ever, ever used the term when you hire a babysitter, you, you want them to come over and watch the kids? Right? Well, obviously, when you say, come over and watch the kids, you don't mean that you want that babysitter to sit in the house and look at the children while they get into the kitchen drawers and start playing with the kitchen knives and start eating puppy chow out of the dog bowl and start using the carpet as a drawing pad with permanent markers they found in a drawer. You know, obviously, that is not what watching the children means. When you say, I want you to watch the kids, you're saying, I want you to interact with them. I want you to give them direction. I want you to help feed them when they need to be fed. If, they need, if they're in diapers and they need diapers changed, I need you to change those diapers. You want that person to be actively engaged as they're watching your kids. And that is exactly what it means when we talk about being watchful in a spiritual sense. It's not to just come to church on Sunday like you're doing. I'm glad you're all here. And it's not just to watch online and hear a message and hopefully get a little inspiration and encouragement and then go on about your way unchanged or unmoved. As we're watchful, we're responding to what God is speaking to us in a positive way, being receptive to it and putting it into practice, but then also being on guard against the things in the world that would draw us away from our faith in Christ. One last illustration, and then I'll move on because I know you get the point, but just think about this. Many of you who traveled here today, if you were the one driving the vehicle that arrived here today, you were being watchful. Certainly as you were driving, you weren't just looking at everything around you. You were moving through traffic. You were turning the steering wheel. You were applying the gas, the brakes, whatever. Uh, you, were looking, you were watching road signs. You were looking at weather conditions. You were looking at other traffic. All of those things were involved in you being watchful as you arrived here, hopefully safely, at your destination. So again, spiritually speaking, when we say watchful, when the scripture talks about being watchful, that's what it means. It is not passive. It's very much involved and active and aware and appropriately responding to what God is doing in the world, but then also being on guard against what Satan, the enemy, and all of these worldly temptations that come our way that can pull our attention off of God and cause us to not be where we want to be and where God wants us to be. So thinking of that, seven centuries, seven centuries had passed since Isaiah had made that pro prophecy and recorded it down as God revealed it to him about this Messiah coming into the world. And along with him saying, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, he makes this statement, and the government shall be on his shoulders. Well, that hasn't happened yet. So we'll come back to that in a moment. But, but still, we see that the first part of that prophecy has been fulfilled on this side now of history and Christ being born into the world and doing everything that he did for the nation of Israel and indeed for all of us through the miracles that he performed and showing that he was God in the flesh and then literally giving his life willingly on the cross of Calvary to demonstrate God's love for you and I, willingly taking that verbal and physical abuse and everything, being rejected and yet still praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and then literally giving his life on the cross of Calvary. 
And then, amazingly, to prove he is God, three days later, conquered death, came out of the tomb, alive bodily, appeared to his disciples, and not only appeared to them, but interacted with them for a period of 40 days in various forms and various locations, various ways, preparing them. And then he ascended back up into heaven, and he gave them this promise, I'm going to come back. So in the same way that those first century believers or followers of God who had heard all of those prophecies about this Messiah coming into the world, and they begin to doubt and think, is this ever going to happen in my lifetime? Well, we can learn from them because God's still not done with this prophecy that Isaiah gave that is surely true. Because not only has Christ been born into the world, but there's one aspect yet that hasn't been fulfilled, and that is the government shall be on his shoulders. And this is part of the prophecy Jesus said. You know, this is a process. I know you all don't get it yet, but our, my timetable is different than your timetable. And so in the same way that I fulfilled the first part of the prophecy by entering into the world and becoming one of you and becoming the perfect God-man, the perfect um, mediator between you as human beings and, and myself as God, in the same way that I started and initiated that prophecy and am fulfilling it, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and I'm going to complete that prophecy. The government will be on my shoulders. I will have my kingdom here on earth and I want you to share that with me as my followers. Well, if we're honest, there's a lot of people today who comes to Christmas time and we hear about Jesus being born and we look back and we're like, that was thousands of years ago. And, you know, yeah, sure, I heard, I know, I've seen, the, I've seen it in the scriptures and I've heard it said he's coming back again, but he hasn't, he hasn't come back yet. And if we're honest, there's a lot of even Christians who begin to think, probably not gonna happen in my lifetime. It may not happen at all. Have we just all, have we gotten mixed up? Or have we misinterpreted scripture? Well, Simon Peter, who was one of the followers of Jesus, so let's fast forward from the time that Christ was born and came into the world, grew to adulthood, began to call his disciples, showed them through the miraculous things that he did, that he indeed, he had credentials. He was God in the flesh, did things that no man could ever do, had control over nature and distance and disease and even death itself, raising people from the dead and then him, he himself conquering death. So all of that. But when Jesus before he ascended back up into heaven and told him that he would return, uh, he warned them, he told them that they needed to watch and pray. Anyway, Peter, one of his followers, had this to say, which was a prophecy, but it also applies to us today. We find it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. Now, I've only got two of those verses on the screen, but I want to read the whole thing to you. But, but it encapsulates in these first two verses here, verse 3 and 4 of 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, and he says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Because ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And we have people like that today. Even in the church, there are some who kind of get skeptical and then, you know, he hadn't come back yet. It's been 2,000 years. Is it ever going to happen? Now, it's interesting what Peter writes next, and it really applies, I think, specifically to our time today and what has happened in world thinking in the last 100 years specifically. Verse 5 of 2 Peter 3 says this, but they deliberately forget 
that long ago by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. He's referring here to the historical account of creation and the worldwide flood of Noah's time. Mark, now come on. The world is never going to get to a point where they would deliberately forget that God created us. That's never going to happen, right? I mean, it's never going to come to a point where we will try to explain how we got here without God, and we'll do it deliberately, not just accidentally, because we all know that God couldn't have created all of this. We've got to find another way to explain how we got here without God. Y'all getting tired of hearing this? Seems to be a theme with me, doesn't it? Well, maybe it's a theme with me because it's recorded in the scriptures as a warning to those in the latter times that when the people that God created deliberately forget and reject God and say there is no God, there is no creator, his word is not true, that's a warning that time is short. And so we need to be watchful. That's what this message is all about. We hear a lot about the woke crowd in politics, the woke people. Well, I want you to know God's been trying to get people woke for a long time. And it's woke to his word and his ways. And what people have done is they've rejected it. They've turned away from it. They've chosen a different way of living and a different standard to live by. And they've, we have created our own gods in so many different ways. And many of you say, Mark, what do you mean we've created our own gods? I don't worship an idol. Well, if you reject God, then you're creating a God of yourself and of your, of your thought, of your lifestyle, of whatever it is. Because whatever you spend your time doing and, 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 and showing that it has extreme worth in your life, that is worship. So who are you worshiping and what are you worshiping? In case you haven't figured it out, God laid this message on my heart and I got it preached to me first. So my toes have been flattened. But this is a message to say, wake up, be watchful. Because in the same way that when Jesus first came into the world through Mary, people, many people weren't watching, they had given up, they thought it would never happen, and when they least expected it, he arrived. And the same thing is going to happen when he returns. So we go on and he says in verse 7, by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And when it says men, it's talking about men and women, it's talking about people. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. There's the key. That's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. It's why he hasn't set up his kingdom. It's not because he's slow and he's unable and he's unwilling so if you're out there going through a rough time and you're a sincere believer and that's awesome and you're praying, Lord, I'm going through such a hard time now and just please, I wish you'd come back and make this all in because I want to go to heaven and be with you. Well, just understand that you're not the only one that is alive on the earth right now. And there's a lot of other people that God loves and cares about and is working on and he wants them part of his kingdom and that's why he's waiting because he's not finished yet. So every day he doesn't come back, you should rejoice and say, God's still at work in the world. And there's still work for me to do to join him in because he's wanting, he wants to populate heaven. He wants to populate his family. He wants his family to grow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you. Here it is, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone 
That means every one to come to repentance. So again, repentance means a change of mind, a change of heart, a change in our soul, a change of the way we're thinking to where we humble ourselves before this one who created us and has given us forgiveness and eternal life and allowed us to have peace with him. And he's announced it, but the only way we have peace with him is through his son Christ. You reject Christ, you're not gonna have peace with God and you're not gonna have peace in your life. And there's not going to be peace in the world because Jesus is the peacemaker. He's the peace bringer. And that's why he's referred to as the prince of, there you go. So if you want to begin to experience peace in your life, it's got to start by experiencing peace with God by accepting the one he has given, Christ. So while we wait, though, he wants us to be watchful. So what I want to do this morning is quickly go through some Bible passages, and I want to let the Scripture speak for itself. I'll add a little bit of commentary, but rather than me tell you some stories... The scripture is rich with real life stories of people who were being watchful. And so from these people at the birth of Christ, I want us to learn how we can be watchful even in our time now as we're waiting for Christ to return. We look back and we remember when he came into the world. And that's great that we do that this time of year. In fact, the word Advent, you know, a lot of people celebrate Advent. And it's a way they count down the days or the weeks leading up to Christmas which is the arrival of, of Christ into the world. Now, for your information, I do get it. We understand December 25th is not the date that Jesus was born. It is a day in church history that the church decided we would set aside to honor that day and to acknowledge that Christ came into the world, but it wasn't December 25th, so let's all get over that and just understand the truth. Because again, if I'm going to preach the truth, I want to preach the truth. I, want, I don't want to be deceptive. So, but the fact is... That's a day that's been chosen. So to honor Christ, we, this is what we do. We set aside and we, we remember, we look back at when he came into the world. And some people call Advent that because they're looking at his coming into the world. Here's another thing so many of us miss. When you look back at Christ coming into the world, Advent means coming. And so we're not only looking at when he first came, but we're supposed to be at Christmas time looking for his return and when he's coming back. So let that be a new thought for you this Christmas. That we're not only looking backwards, but we're looking forwards. His promises are not done yet. So we learn, first of all, the first couple is uh, Zach and Liz. That's who we'd call them today, Zach and Liz. Zachariah and Elizabeth. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, let's pick it up there. And I want you to follow along. I, I, I'm not spoiling you today. I don't have all these on the screen. Uh, I want you to learn to look in the, the scriptures for yourselves today. So Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now let me just pause there. That doesn't mean they were perfect people. Doesn't mean they didn't make mistakes. What it's saying is, just like Abraham, the Bible says in the Old Testament, Abraham believed God, and God credited it to Abraham as righteousness or right standing with God because he just took God at his word and believed him and wanted to follow him, even though it didn't make sense. That's what Zechariah and Elizabeth were doing. They had the Mosaic Law to the best of their ability. They believed it was the word of God. They were following what God's word said through Moses and, and they, they were involved. So God looked at them as being righteous because they rightly were trusting God. 
And, and again, they, they were authentically wanting to follow him. Verse 7, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving uh, as priest before God, I'll stop there for a minute. This is kind of cool. Uh, in the church today, oftentimes when people uh, volunteer for certain positions in the church, you take a turn in the nursery or teaching in kid connections or the different things that we do, whether it's ushers, greeters, whatever, we kind of have this rotating basis. You have one month or one week that you're on, you know, you serve, and then you get a week off or a month off. They did that in the temple. <laughs> the priests took turns. They had their divisions. They would draw lots to see who was going to serve on a certain month or a certain time. And so this is what was going on. So when Zachariah's division, since he was a priest, was uh, to serve there in the temple, uh, he, he goes in. It says he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go in, uh, into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. So this would be like, like we would have a worship service here today. Everybody's coming, people are serving, we're gathered together, we're worshiping. Then, when everybody least expected it, something amazing happened to Zechariah. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. This was a particular vow that they had in the Jewish faith, a Nazarite vow. Uh, Samson, if you read the, in the Old Testament, he, he had that kind of vow on him. Anyway, it goes on, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even before he is born. Now, I have to stop there because here's another message from God to us today in our culture. For people who do not believe a child in the womb is a human being or a, or a child in the sight of God, you need to pay attention to this. Because John, while he was still in his mother's womb, was filled with the Holy Spirit. God doesn't do that to just a blob of flesh he does it to us as people created in his image. So just something to tuck away in your thought life because, again, we live in a culture that tries to downplay the truth of what life is and when it begins and who God is for convenience. And I know this impacts a lot of people, so I'm saying this in love. I'm not saying it for anyone to feel guilty. God is a God of love and forgiveness and grace, and we do a lot of work with the Women's Care Center, and we do a lot of work for women in distress or who have become expectant and they really didn't necessarily want the child. So I'm gonna leave that there. I just have to speak the truth in love. Look at what the scripture says. While he was still in the womb, he would be filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. Now we'll move on. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You see, this one that was born, God was too true to his promise. He was born, he became known as John the Baptist. He was a watchman. 
He was a watchman for the nation of Israel and for the people. And by him going and preaching and proclaiming, get ready, Messiah is coming. I know you've heard about it for centuries, but he's right here. He's coming now. Get ready. He was causing other people to become watchful. Now we're going to take a look at another person in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 uh, through 38. And this is Mary. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, by the way, in case you didn't see it on the screen, we learn from Zechariah and Elizabeth, being watchful means just simply being faithful. So if, if you've been trusting God, following God, trying to honor him with your life, and things are just still not going your way, don't give up. You're being watchful. And God wants you to be faithful because that's part of this activity that we do as we're watching. We're interacting, we're appropriately responding, even in our disappointments of life. We need to stay faithful and watchful. So now again, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Again, I want to make it clear, in this culture, when people were engaged, it was the same as being married, but it just hadn't been consummated yet. So they, it was very unusual for people to call off uh, an engagement, uh, though they weren't fully married yet. And the couples, in order to honor God and honor their commitment, they did not come together and have any kind of sexual activity or sexual intimacy until they had made those vows. And before God, they were recognized as husband and wife. And then they came together and they consummated their marriage with that sexual union in the hopes also that they would be able to produce more offspring. Because again, this is what God created us to do as human beings, to love each other and to reproduce and to create offspring. We've taken that basic beautiful thing and we've twisted it to our own pleasures and all kinds of things and then we wonder why those things don't always bring peace and happiness and satisfaction because it'll still always leave us wanting. So I'll move on from that. But I want you to see again, there is something to this being faithful to God and sincerely wanting to honor him. So often we talk about Jesus coming to those who are sinners, and he absolutely does, because we're all sinners saved by grace. Today I want to encourage you, though, that God also honors those of you or those of us who are doing our best in the midst of an onslaught of a world that says, you all are outdated and old-fashioned, and why are you even doing it? You just might as well give up and join the crowd. Well, I want you to know that God's saying, I'm, you're watchful. You're being a watchman, a watchwoman. Thank you. Thank you for watching, because I'm going to work, and I'm going to, I'm going to bless you for being watchful. That's what we see with all these people. They were imperfect, but they sincerely desired to honor God. So the virgin's name was Mary. The angel went and said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you were to call him Jesus. He will be great and be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One who will be born will be called the Son of God. Fulfillment of the Isaiah 9 prophecy that was seven hundred plus years prior to Mary getting this message. 
Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail, or literally, as some translations say it, nothing is impossible with God. And then here is Mary's response. She could have been, no, this, what's going to happen? What's Joseph going to think? What's my family going to think? You know, and she could have freaked out, but this was her response. I'm the Lord's servant, Mary said. Now, she didn't understand all that was going to happen, but here's the thing. Mary proved herself watchful because she was receptive. She was receptive to what God wanted to do in her life personally, regardless of what turmoil it would bring to her, what status it would give her with her, her soon-to-be husband. All She didn't know any of that, but she said, okay, Lord, uh, I'm your servant. It's whatever you want to do, however you want to use me. So to be watchful means to be receptive to God. Remember I said to watch people on the wall not only looked for things to be on guard against, but they looked for those to welcome into the city for the blessing of the city. Then the angel left her. All right, the next person, of course, would be Joseph then. Because like most guys, uh, they're engaged. He's not, they've not done anything together. He's trying to follow God and be faithful and wait and save it for marriage. And now she's pregnant. Well, Joseph, uh, I know this is hard to understand, but an angel appeared to me. Yeah, yeah, right, Mary, sure. Yeah, like that, that, I haven't heard that story before. How many women have used that excuse? You know, who have you been with? I mean, you know, we make it all so dreamy and romantic and everything, and that Joseph was just like, oh, that's fine. It's, I've, praise God. But no, I, I think he was really upset. And in fact, let's read what it says here. Um, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, there it is, they're really stressing that. There had not been any sexual relation. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, here it is again, he was a watchman. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was trying to honor God with the way that he lived. He believed the Mosaic law. He's like, okay, God, I'm trying to do what's right here. And now my wife is pregnant, and she's telling me it was an angel. I'm really having a hard time believing this, God. And so it says here, look at what he says. Because, though, he was faithful to the law, and he's like, well, I can't, we can't be married now because she's pregnant. And I don't know who it was that was with her, but I, I can't do this. But look, it says, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. That says a lot about Joseph. Because in this, in our day and time, the guy would be on social media saying, I can't believe my, you know, so-and-so is a, you know. We couldn't wait to get out there and say, I can't believe how they treated me and what she did to me. You can't believe it. And Joseph was like, you know what? I'm just going to treat her with dignity. Because again, he wanted to honor God. He was trying to act in the way God would be. He wanted to be graceful and quiet and not disgrace her. That says so much about Joseph. I love that. So guys, take note. Okay. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. And again, it uses the word divorce because remember, even though they hadn't gotten married, they were engaged. And in that culture, that was just part of that process of the entire marriage commitment. But because he had compassion, he wanted to uh, just not draw a lot of attention. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, ladies, <laughs> you're going to love this. How many times do you get into an argument with your husband and 
an angel shows up and says to the guy that you're arguing with, she's right. <laughs> so, and guys, oh man, it's like, ouch. <laughs> but that's what happened. So Joseph had his mind made up. He was upset and everything. And an angel comes and says, that, Joseph, she's right. This really is a miracle. It's true. You got to trust her. You got to believe her. And again, because Joseph was watchful and he was obedient to God, even though he didn't understand this all, it didn't make sense, he, he was obedient. The angel goes on and says, she will give birth to a son, and you're to, you are to give him the name Jesus. See, he not only said it to Mary, but he said it to Joseph, because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Here again, look at the, in, in verse uh, 25, he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. So again, Joseph and Mary did not have any kind of sexual intimacy until after Jesus was born. And then God wanted to bless them and wanted them to have children together as a couple. And so they were able to do that. And that's why they had other children after Jesus was born into the world. But Jesus is special. It's miraculous. He is the one true God-man because he had God as his father. Man was not involved in that pregnancy, only God. And yet Mary as a human being was able to conceive and give birth to this child who was fully human and fully God. It's a miracle. It's what separates Jesus from every other person that's ever been born into this world. It's why he is our mediator, our savior, our redeemer, the lover of our souls. It's why we make such a big deal about him. Joseph was being watchful by being obedient to the Lord. So for sake of time this morning, I'm going to bypass this, but I do encourage you to read it. Go ahead and put the next or scripture reference up, and you can jot this down. So we find in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 40, when Mary and Joseph, after Jesus was born, they brought him to the temple because it, after a child was born in that culture, eight days later or on the eighth day, they would come bring him to the temple and dedicate them to God. Well, Mary and Joseph did that, and when they brought the baby Jesus into the temple, most people didn't notice him from anything, but there were two people there in the temple that had been watchful. God had put it in their spirit. In fact, one man named Simeon, God had spoken to him. He was an older gentleman, but God had spoken to him, Simeon, before you die, you're going to get to see the Messiah. And when Mary and Joseph walked in with the baby and they saw him in the spirit, it just spoke to him and he's like, this is it, he's the one. And so Simeon ran up to Mary and Joseph and he gave a blessing over them and a prophecy over Jesus and he thanked God because he had been faithful in being watchful. He literally got to see at least this child come into the world. We don't know that Simeon ever got to live long enough to see Christ die on the cross and rise again, but it was good enough for him. He had been watchful and he got to see the fulfillment of the promise, and he was satisfied. He was rewarded for being watchful. And then Anna also was a, a widowed lady who had, had been widowed for several years and stayed at the temple constantly, giving herself over to the Lord and prayed. And she also, when she saw the child, she was rewarded. She knew he was Messiah. And she also uh, spoke a prophecy and a blessing over him. But the reason I want to pass on by this is I want us to get to Jesus himself and what he said after he grew to adulthood and he called his disciples to follow him, he began to teach them to watch and pray. 
In fact, Jesus, on the night when he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he called three of his closest disciples and said, I want you guys to come with me, I'm paraphrasing, and I want you to just stay here and watch with me. Again, remember, that doesn't mean passive. He wanted them to pray, to kind of be on guard, all that stuff. I want you to watch with me. And then he went off a little further and he began to pray. And of course, we know the story how the disciples couldn't stay awake. They fell asleep and he would come back and he'd say, couldn't you guys even watch with me for one hour? Couldn't you stay awake? Couldn't you be on guard? Couldn't you pray with me? Be engaged. And I believe really today, Jesus is saying that to a lot of us. Could you, could you all not just wake up a little bit? And I know the, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, but come on, wake up, be watchful. I'm about to do something. So he taught them to be on guard against temptation, but also, again, to be aware of what God was doing in a positive way. So we see he, he talked to them about a future time. Hear me now. Jesus, before he died on the cross, he told his disciples, I'm going to die. But don't be discouraged. Take heart because I'm going to conquer death. And I'm going to rise again three days later. He told them that several times before he died so that when it happened, they wouldn't be totally dismayed, though they actually were when it happened, because again, they didn't fully understand it. But then when he conquered death and he rose again on the third day, and then he spent the next 40 days off and on interacting with them and preparing them and teaching them, he said, I'm going to leave you, but I'm not really going to leave you because my spirit's going to come into your life and wherever I am or wherever you are there, I'm going to be, but I'm also in heaven. But one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to finish this promise. I'm going to set up my kingdom. And I want everyone who trusts and believes in me to be part of my kingdom. And there will be peace at that time. So we find some of these prophecies about the end times because the disciples said, well, Lord, when, when is the end time going to come? When are you going to return back to earth? We don't really understand all this. So he, re- he talks about this. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and 25 and Mark chapter 13 and Luke chapter 21. I'll give those real quick again in case you want to jot these down. But in Matthew chapters 24 and 25 and in Mark chapter 13 and in Luke chapter 21, Jesus talks about all of the signs that will be uh, happening in the world right before he returns. Now I want to pick it up in Luke chapter 21 verse 29. Here are the words of Jesus. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now stop and think about that. He spoke these words over 2,000 years ago, and here I am today, 2,000 years later, having the privilege to speak his word. Hmm, maybe God is true to his promises. Because I know a lot of religious teachings and a lot of writings that never made it first past the first 100 or 200 years. And here we are 2,000 years later. Think of all that has changed in the world in 2,000 years. Think of all this change in the last hundred years. We no longer have the horse and buggies. We, we've got all kinds of industry. We've got technology, things that the world never even could dream of back then. So all of the things that they relied on as dependable back when Jesus spoke these words, those have all passed away. 
And you know what? The stuff that you're relying on today and our cell phones and all, one day that stuff is going to be obsolete. I know it's hard to believe, but it's, it's happening. It's, it's coming. So Jesus' words are true. The things of this world are going to pass away, but my word will not pass away. It's the same now as it was back then. It's authoritative, so be watchful. Pay attention to it. It's true. Then he says this, Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. We know that addictions to all kinds of uh, substances, whether it's alcohol or opiates or whatever it is, it's a big part of, of the world today in our culture. And Jesus cautioned again. He said, these are things that are going to distract you and cause you to not be able to be watchful and looking for my return. And there's going to be a lot of anxiety in life. We live at a time when more and more people uh, have to take medication to stay calm. And I get it. I don't, again, this is not, don't mishear what I'm saying. There have been times in my life when I've gone through a rough time and I had to be on some medication for a while. So I'm not just preaching against, you know, taking pills. But the anxieties of life, they truly, we can begin to focus on all those anxieties and we take our eyes off of the one who gives us peace and a hope beyond these anxieties. So Jesus is warning us, be watchful, don't get distracted. Don't forget my promise the anxieties of life, and that day will close in on you suddenly like a trap. And then he says this, for I will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth, and then he says this, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So here again, in the same way that God told the Jewish people, Put watchmen on the walls and don't give yourself any rest and don't give me any rest until I've fulfilled my promises. I'm giving you permission. Jesus is saying the same thing. Don't give up. Don't get distracted. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep watching. Because I want you to be able to stand before me and be ready for my coming. You see, Jesus taught that there is this spiritual battle that is going on in the world, and that's why he came to give us victory. We can only find victory in this spiritual battle by putting our faith in the one who is our creator and redeemer and the savior of our soul, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the mighty victor. He is the one who is the mighty conqueror, and we get a vision of that in Revelation when he comes back as the mighty conqueror. So we better know which team to be on. We better know which army to serve in, and it's the Lord's army. So one of Jesus' followers, Peter, writes this. We, we read something from him earlier, and I want to bring this to a close now with the words of Peter. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So we learn from Peter, that being watchful means to be spiritually aware, but then the apostle Paul takes it a step further, and he says, you not only just need to be aware, you need to be spiritually prepared. And so the apostle Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13. Put on the full armor of God, not your armor, not the world's armor, the armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so 
that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. That day of evil comes at us, we never know when it's gonna come. I've had some days that as I felt pretty much attacked by the enemy and a lot of bad stuff happening. It was a day of evil for me. But thank God, I was able to have enough armor on, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, not my righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ imputed to me through my faith in him and his life, death, and resurrection. To have feet fitted with like boots, like soldier's boots or uh, officer's boots or whoever, soldier's boots going out so that you can go over any kind of terrain and carry the gospel with you. That's the image that's given there to have a shield of faith, faith in, in Christ and faith in him alone to protect you. That's what protects us from Satan's fiery darts and the attacks. It's a shield of faith. And then the sword, which is the word of God, what I'm bringing you today. It's our offensive weapon. And sometimes, quite frankly, it does offend us. But we need to be offended because that's how we can get woke up and how we can begin to be on the right team and make the right choices. But we can also use his word to fight back against the enemy. When he tells you, you can't, you can say through Christ, I can do all things. I can get through this struggle. I can get through this disappointment. I can get through this tough time. Doesn't mean I can jump over buildings with a single bound and all that kind of stuff. With Christ, I can do all things. Paul wrote that when he was in prison and he was going through a really tough time. He's like, you know what? I can do all things through Christ. He's gonna get me through this miserable, stinking time right now because I'm putting my trust in him. That's the kind of faith, that's what being watchful means. And then of course, it's all held together with the belt of truth. That's the spiritual armor, the truth of the word of God, all of those things. And that's how we can be watchful. So God's promises are true. And in the same way that he was true to the first part of that promise coming into the world, he's going to be true and he's gonna fulfill the rest of that promise when he comes back. The question is, are you ready? And are you watchful? Because that's what he wants us to be. If you're not ready, you can be ready. Simply open your heart in humility, ask God for forgiveness, trust and believe in the way of salvation he's given through his son, Jesus Christ, through his life, perfect life lived on your behalf and my behalf. All of our sins and ugliness and everything that's part of us that's imperfect, imperfection, he gave that on the cross for us so that his righteous life could be imputed or imparted or credited to our account. And by faith, when we receive that, comes into our account and all of our sin and ugliness goes on Christ as he died on the cross for us. That's what is so amazing about the exchange that happened that day. It's what it means when it says Jesus paid the full penalty for our sins when he died on the cross. And here's the beautiful thing. Three days later, he rose up from the dead. He beat the curse. He beat the curse of death and everything that the curse of death brings. So we can have confidence when we put our faith in him, all of our ugliness, all of our sin, the sins that you committed 10 years ago, five years ago, yesterday, before you walked in the door, paid for, cleansed. But the only way you get that forgiveness is to receive Christ, believe and trust him. And if you'll do that, if you'll receive him as your savior, and then say, Lord, help me to honor you with my life. Just help me to start being watchful and help me to change ways that are displeasing to you and help me to live in ways that honor you. And if you'll do that, then you're beginning to be watchful and you'll be ready. Are you watchful? I wanna read one last passage from Isaiah because this brings it all together. In Isaiah 49, six, 
Now, this is God speaking as if he were speaking to Messiah, his servant. And he says, you know what? I promise to not only redeem the nation of Israel, but you know what? That's even too small of a task for me. I'm not going to stop with the nation of Israel. I'm going to redeem the whole world. Listen to this. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. This is, this is like God talking to Messiah, to Jesus. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles. That's you and me and everybody outside the nation of Israel. This hope is for everyone. That you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Would you stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that instructs us and that is everlasting. Thank you, Jesus, that your words do not fade. They do not pass away. And I thank you that you've given me the privilege to be able to proclaim your precious and holy word today in truth. I pray that your Holy Spirit has directed these words. I, I thank you for the opportunity. And Lord, uh, I know you've spoken them to me first. It's convicted me even as I share it with others. So this is a word for all of us, Lord. So as we enjoy this Christmas season, and as we look back at the time Christ came into the world, remind us when we start getting stressed out, and we start thinking about all the stuff we gotta buy and the people we gotta please and, and all the pressures that we feel, please help us to not get distracted and help us to stop and help us to be watchful and to not only look back at when you came, but to look at your return and help us to share that gift with someone this year because that would be the most awesome gift they could ever get because it's the most awesome gift you've ever given us in your name. Amen.